have an ESV Bible with you, the standard version. That's the one I'll be using this morning. Uh, there's a couple of ESVs that are in the seat back in front of you. So if you look in those little pockets, there'll be a couple there. You could grab one of those. It'll certainly be helpful to have a copy of the word open if you're able. It's page 913. If you're looking at one of those uh, pew Bibles there, Galatians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 is what we'll be looking at in our time now. There's a sort of a bare bones outline on the back of the handout, if that's helpful for anybody to, to keep an eye on as we move along. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Um, when I wanted to ask Maria, my wife, to marry me, we were in Louisville, <clears throat> and there was a park that we went to, Cherokee Park, actually designed by the same guy that designed Central Park in New York. There's a beautiful park there in Louisville, humongous, lots of great big trees, lots of space. So we went there a decent amount when we were dating. And so I thought, you know, that'd be a good place to propose. And so I kind of got that ready. Well, one thing that I did was I, I carved our initials and I carved the reference from the book of Genesis into a tree there, this big tree that we used to sit under, which I found out later is illegal, <laughs> but I didn't know it at the time. You know, what are you going to do? It was already carved in there. So anyway, hopefully it's the statute of limitations. Hopefully I'm all right now. But uh, but I, I took a, I had never carved anything into a tree where I wanted it to stay. So I took a flathead screwdriver and I took a hammer. And I just chiseled, chiseled that thing in that tree. And the idea, I wanted it to be deep to where it, it had staying power. You know, I didn't, I didn't want that message to go anywhere. I wanted it to be preserved. Well, that's what we see in our passage this morning. That's what the Lord wants us to do with the truth of the gospel. He wants us to preserve it, to keep it there. So hear the word of the Lord, Galatians 2. 1 through 10 is what Paul says. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery? To them, we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those I say who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Okay, so, so the Lord through this passage, I think he's calling us to do four things at least. These are listed on the back of the outline. So first, be particular in your understanding of justification. We're going to talk more about what that means in a minute. Second, understand how bad justification by faith plus works actually is. That was a false gospel these teachers was preaching. Understand how bad that is and never yield to it. Third, be more loyal to the gospel than to people. And then finally, because of the gospel, give material care to fellow Christians. We'll see at least those four things the Lord is calling us to do. So, so before we get there, let's remember where we're at in Galatians. You know, what Paul has been saying 
so far in the letter. So he's writing to a group of local Christians in this, this region of Galatia, a group of churches that Paul had planted where he had preached the gospel to non-Christians. The spirit had opened their eyes. They'd become Christians. And then he had started churches. So he's writing this letter back to these churches. And he spends chapter one reminding them of why they should trust him and why they should continue to believe the gospel that he preached to them. It's because his message was directly from Jesus. That's basically his case in chapter one, reminding them this message I gave you, the gospel, it was given to me directly from Jesus. Look at chapter one, verse 11. He says, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, so he reminds them the gospel message was given to him directly from Jesus to, to help them remember that, that that's true. And, and in another way to do that, he reminds them that he didn't consult with this group of guys called the apostles, who, who were Jesus's closest followers when he was on earth. It wasn't like Paul spent a bunch of time learning from these other guys. Like, okay, tell me what the gospel message is. You tell it to me, and then I'll go tell it to other people, which wouldn't really be a supernatural thing at all. It happens all the time. Lots of other religions, there's one guy and he believes something, he teaches it to others, and then they go and teach it to other people. But that wasn't Paul's situation. Look at chapter 1, verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. Okay, so, so Paul, he's preaching the same gospel as those apostles, the guys that walked around with Jesus. So Peter and James and John, they're both preaching. They're preaching the gospel. Paul's preaching the same gospel, but it's not because they consulted with one another. No, it's because Jesus had miraculously revealed the gospel to both groups separately. That's something. It's supernatural. That's what Paul's reminding the Galatians of. But, but then here in our passage, Paul is recounting how eventually he did go to Jerusalem to spend time with the apostles and to consult with them. So chapter two, verse one, he says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. Okay, so why is he decide to go up? Why the change? It's been 14 years, he's been preaching the gospel, doing great. Why now does he decide to go to Jerusalem and meet with the apostles? What's the purpose of the trip? Verse two, I went up because of a revelation. And set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Okay, so the Lord had supernaturally called Paul to make this visit. That's something that happened with the apostles in, uh, in the New Testament times in particular. The Lord was giving them special revelation. The thing that we have in scripture that's recorded there for all of us, they were sort of getting that directly from the Lord as, uh, as he chose to, to give it. And so Paul, he gets this revelation. So he goes on this trip to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles. That's who he's talking about when he says those who seemed influential. He's talking about those apostles, Peter, James, John, those guys. I think there's a good chance this is the same event Luke records for us in Acts 11, verse 27. Listen to this verse. That's where Paul says, or that's where Luke says, now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. That's where Paul was in Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit, so it's a revelation, he foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. 
So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, or Jerusalem is. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Paul. Okay, so we don't know for sure that that's the same event that's happening in Acts 11, that's happening here in Galatians 2, but, but in any event, it seems to match up. And, and however it works out, the Lord let Paul know he needed to go to Jerusalem and visit with the apostles. And that's exactly what he does. Now look again what he does when he gets there. Verse two again, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Okay, so the reason he goes, what he does when he gets there, he shares the gospel with the apostles. He says, okay, here's the message Jesus gave me to give to, to the Gentiles. And basically he's saying, what do you guys think about that? He's, he, he's wanting to compare their versions of the gospel. In particular, he wants to see if they are preaching a different gospel than what Jesus gave to Paul. And he says he wants to do that in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Now, here's what Paul is not doing. He, he's not saying he needs validation from these apostles. He's not saying, okay, I got to figure out if I'm right. If the apostles agree, then I'm right. If they disagree, then, then I'm wrong. No, all of chapter one is about how Jesus gave the gospel to Paul. So he's not interested in changing anything. He knows that if somebody disagrees with it, that's basically on them. But Jesus has given him this gospel. So he's, he's got all the validation he needs. No, what Paul wants to know is, are these apostles on the same team as I am? Are we preaching the same gospel? Are we on the same mission? In the words of verse chapter one, verse six, he wants to know, are the apostles turning to a different gospel? Because remember what we saw in chapter one, verse eight, if somebody deserts the one true gospel, they're also deserting God. Those two things go together. If you turn away from the one true gospel, you're turning away from God. So Paul wants to know, hey, are these guys on God's team? these apostles. And he's going to figure that out by figuring out if they preach the one true gospel. And this is our first main point this morning. Be particular in your understanding of justification, which we're going to talk about in a second. That was a central part of the gospel. So that's what Paul is doing here. And, and in this story, he relays in our passage, he, he gives the apostles a sort of test to try to figure it out. And, and here it is. For Paul, he's confident he'll find out if they preach the one true gospel by the way they respond to this guy, Titus, who's Greek. He's a non-Jew. He's a Gentile. He comes along with Paul. Paul's confident. Okay, I'll know what they think about the gospel by how they respond to Titus. Look at the test, verses two through three. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Here it is. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. So that's the test. The test for Paul here to figure out, are they preaching the same gospel that I preach? Are they preaching the one true gospel? Is whether or not they tell Titus he had to be circumcised in order to be a Christian. That's the test here that Paul gives. Because remember, that's exactly what the false teachers around the Galatian churches were telling those Galatian Christians. 
they said, yeah, faith in Christ, you got to have faith in Christ, but that's not quite good enough. You got to have faith in Christ, plus you have to get circumcised. You have to do this particular good work in order for you to be justified. And that language justification, you might be kind of familiar with that or really familiar or not familiar at all. That's court language. It's, it's, a, it's a picture that scripture comes back to regularly. The picture is that you and I, sinners, are in a courtroom and God is the judge and he's looking at our life and whether we deserve to be with him for eternity, whether we deserve an innocent verdict. And of course, when he looks at our life, he realizes with all of us and every other human who's ever lived, except for Jesus, he realizes, no, we're not innocent, we're guilty. Even this morning, we've all sinned. We've all become guilty in God's eyes. Well, the picture scripture gives is that there's a way for God to count us as innocent, even though we're sinners. There's a way for him to give us an innocent verdict. That's called justification, when God pronounces an innocent verdict on us. So the question is, how does a sinner get that innocent verdict? Okay, well, what Paul was saying, what the rest of scripture says is, faith alone in Christ alone. That's how you get that innocent verdict. It's not our works at all. Our works are all messed up, but Jesus's work was perfect. So if we trust in Christ alone, that's what gets us that innocent verdict. But, but see, these false teachers in Galatia, they were saying, no, no, no. Yeah, faith in Christ, you got to have that. That's good. But you've also got to have this one special good work, this one thing that you contribute. So it was justification by faith plus being circumcised. They, they were denying that justification came by faith alone. And see, it was probably pretty easy for a lot of Christians around Galatia to hear that and just not think it was that big of a deal. You know, what's the big deal? They've got faith in Christ. What's the big deal if something gets added to it? You know, they weren't saying turn away from Christ. They still had Christ. They, they were just adding a little bit extra belief in Christ plus circumcision, which was part of the Old Testament law. And listen, there, there are so-called Christian groups today that do the same thing. There are churches today who say justification from your sins in God's eyes comes through faith in Christ plus baptism or faith in Christ plus some other practices like confession or the Lord's Supper or joining a church in membership or faith in Christ plus good deeds toward other people. What all those churches have in common is they're mixing together what Jesus did with a little bit of what we can do. And then you add those things together and that equals an innocent verdict. That equals justification. So what's the big deal about that? They're just adding something else. But see, as far as the Lord is concerned, that's no small detail. Look, look back at how Paul characterizes this false teaching of justification by faith plus works. Look at how he characterizes it. Chapter one, verse six. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul says that gospel, the false teachers were talking about, the churches today would talk about, he says that's a different gospel. It's not the same gospel with just a twist on it. It's a different gospel fundamentally. So think about it this way. If a kid has a bicycle and you add a third wheel, Okay, it doesn't become a three-wheeled bicycle. No, that's a tricycle. It's become a fundamentally different thing by adding that wheel. That's the same thing with the one true gospel. If we add even one work from us, 
for part of the formula to be justified, it's become a fundamentally different thing. It's become a false gospel, a non-gospel. Listen, if that's true, then being particular about justification by faith alone is really important, isn't it? It's really important. We don't want to be in this group where all of a sudden we've lost the gospel, where we've turned away from our Lord. So that's a good thing for us to think about. Be particular about your understanding of justification. So the question for you, do do you think about that doctrine? Do you meditate on the gospel? Do you read about it? Do you pray for a better understanding of it? Or do you just sort of assume you know as much about it as you need to, and it's going to be fine? You know, it's easy to slip into that. Passages like this are telling us, no, don't slip into that. Think about it regularly. Pray for a greater understanding. Read books to help you understand scripture on this thing. Don't forget, this is such a great verse. This is Romans chapter 1, verse 15. Paul is writing to Christians. He's writing to Christians. This is what he says. He says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Okay, why in the world does Paul want to preach the gospel to Christians, we might wonder? It's because Christians need the gospel. It's not just the beginning of the Christian life. The gospel isn't just the ABCs. It's it's the A to Z. We need the gospel every day. So so think of it like medicine. For the Christian, the gospel, it's, it's not like a measles vaccine where if you get it, you get it once when you're a baby, and then you're good. A lot of Christians treat the gospel that way. Oh, no, the gospel, that was for me when I was a non-Christian. I've become a Christian. I don't need it anymore. It's not like that. It's not a one-time vaccine. It's not even like a flu shot where maybe you get it once a year, you know? Yeah, every now and then I, I need the gospel. No, no, for the Christian, the gospel is, it's like a heart pill that you have to take every day. Christians need the gospel all the time. So so take time to stare at the gospel in God's word. Consider it. Meditate on it. Pray you'll grow in your understanding of it. Read Bible chapters like Romans 3. That's just all about the gospel. Or Galatians 3. Or Ephesians 2. Or Philippians 3. Those epistles, man, those chapters in the middle of those epistles, there's usually a chapter. All it's about is the gospel, just to help you to stare at it. Or you could, there's a book on the bookshelf in the back called The Gospel by, uh, by Greg Gilbert. Read that book. It's short. You can grab, there's a bunch of copies back there. Grab one on your way out. That's a great meditation on what scripture teaches about the gospel. Even if you've been a Christian for, for 70 years, you still need the gospel as much today as, as you did the first day you believed it. So, so be particular in your understanding of the gospel. And what Paul talks about here, be particular in your understanding of justification. And praise the Lord, the apostles, they believe the exact same gospel as Paul. That's what we see here. They, they too had been preaching that one's made right with God through faith alone in Christ alone. That's why they don't tell Titus he needs to get circumcised. Because they say, no, you're trusting in Christ. That's enough. You don't need to do anything to have your sins covered, to be justified in God's eyes. Verse three, but even Titus who was with me was not forced to be circumcised. Look at the apostles' reaction down in verses seven through nine. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, talking about the Lord, worked also through me from mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. 
So, so the apostles are thrilled with this too. They find out that this guy they've heard of, Paul, he's preaching the real gospel. Justification by faith alone, apart from works. So you can see how important it was in Paul's eyes and, and the apostles' eyes to figure this out. And, and it should be the same for us. Be particular in your understanding of, of justification. And our main motivation for that, for being particular, for being careful about it, is, is going to come in particular when we understand how bad the alternative is. That's our second point. Understand how bad justification by faith plus works actually is. We see this clearly in verses four through five with some of these false teachers. So the apostles, they didn't believe Titus needed to get circumcised, but then these false teachers come around and they say, oh, no, 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 no. This guy needs to get circumcised. If he wants to be a Christian, if he wants to be right with God, faith in Christ, but he also needs to get circumcised. Look at what Paul tells us, verse four. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Now, just so we're clear, we, we know these guys were saying circumcision was necessary for salvation. By the way, Paul frames the entire section by saying he's looking to see if they tell Titus he needs to get circumcised. But, but then even outside of Galatians, we see this same type of thing. This is from Acts 15, verse 1. And they were told, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So the false teachers in Galatia, they're doing the same thing. In fact, there's a good chance that those guys in Acts 15, some of them are exactly the same guys as Paul's talking about in, in Galatians 2. So, so that was their main agenda, convince people that to be justified, to become God's child, you had to believe in Christ for sure, but you also had to get circumcised. Okay, so, so back to our passage now. Look at what Paul says will happen if somebody was to believe this false gospel of justification by faith plus works. This shows us how bad it is. Verse four again, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. Okay, so that's how bad it is. First of all, at the end of verse four, Paul tells us it will bring us into slavery. If we believe this false gospel, if others believe this false gospel, it will bring them into slavery. So why is that? What's Paul mean by that? Let's make two quick stops in the rest of Galatians. It'll become especially clear for us. Flip over to chapter five, verse one. This is what Paul says there, Galatians five. Verse one, what does a false gospel have to do with slavery? This is what he says. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Okay, so Paul's real quick. He says the same thing in chapter five. He says in our passage, to add works to justification, to what's necessary for salvation, to add circumcision will bring someone into slavery. Okay, now in chapter five, verse three, he explains why that is. Five, verse three, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Okay, so let's put the pieces together now. Paul says a person who adds a requirement to faith alone, a person that adds any work to their salvation, that person is trying to be justified by the law. 
It's what he just told us in chapter five, verse four. But the big problem with that is what we just heard him say in verse three of chapter five. I testify again to everyone who accepts circumcision, he is obligated to keep the whole law. Okay, so it's the same thing in chapter three. Turn there, then we'll go back to our passage. Chapter three, verse 10. He's gonna tell us the exact same thing. And there he says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Okay, so we can boil this down now. Every human that understands they'll have to stand before God one day in judgment, which that's reality. Every human will have to do that, whether they understand it or not. Every person that understands that, they have a decision to make. Either they can be justified by relying on Jesus's work on their behalf completely. So it's only faith alone and Christ alone that will give them that innocent verdict. They can either do that or they can look for an innocent verdict based on faith in Christ plus some good work of their own. Or maybe not even faith in Christ at all, just their own good works. But those are the only two options. But here's the thing scripture teaches us, Galatians in particular. If they try to have their justification rest at all on their own good works, it means it will have to rest entirely on their own good works. Those are the only two options. Like chapter three, verse 10 just told us, if you wanna rely on the works of the law, on good works, you have to rely entirely on your own good works. So think about it this way. We probably all have friends or family members. My parents and Maria's parents are like this. Where if we're eating out together, they are always gonna wanna pick up the check. It's actually super satisfying because technology and things, you can pay for stuff before you get there. So the last time Maria's parents were here, we got to pay for the pizza on the phone. And I saw her dad just sort of like scrambling like a deer in the headlights when he realized he was not going to be able to pay for supper. You know, he loves us and so he wanted to pay for it. So you probably know people like that. You go out to supper with them and you understand they are always gonna wanna pick up the check. And maybe there's been times where you realized, okay, this person's never gonna let me pay for the whole thing, but maybe they'll let me split it. Hey, why don't you just let us split it? You pay for yours, I'll pay for mine. Well, well, here's the deal. Think about that picture. Here's the deal when it comes to the justification of sinners. God doesn't split the check. He doesn't split the check. If, if we want to add part of our good works to that, if we want to say, God, how about we split the check where Jesus pays for most of it through his work on the cross, and I'll just pay for a tiny bit of it by being obedient and being baptized. Or I'll let Jesus pay for 98% of it, but what if I paid for it with, with some good works? We're taking the Lord's Supper, confession, or church membership. Well, God, God doesn't do that. He says no to that. If you're saying, I just want to pay for part of the check, God is walking away. That's not the gospel. He doesn't split the check. Either you let God pay for the entire thing for your justification, or you're going to have to pick up the entire check. Chapter 3, verse 10, for all who rely on the works of the law, any good works, are under a curse, for it's written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Either Jesus pays for all of your sins, or he pays for none of it. That's important to understand, isn't it? And this is why it's so important for you to understand if, if you're here and you're not a Christian. So, so first, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you, you need to understand that you're a sinner in need of a savior, just like all the rest of us. Second, you, you need to realize that Jesus is the only savior who can actually save. 
He did that by going to the cross and suffering under God's wrath, bearing God's wrath that we deserve because of our sin. He didn't deserve any of it. He was perfect. But he was able to sub himself in for us, be a substitute and pay for, for our sins so that everybody who would ever trust in him is provided salvation. But third, you've got to realize what we've been talking about here, that when you come to Christ, you have to come empty-handed. You can't come saying, I'm going to contribute 1%. You can't do that. That's not the gospel. You have to come empty-handed saying, I have nothing to contribute. It has to be all Jesus. That's what God is asking us to do, and, and that's how we're saved. If, if you're not a Christian and you're interested in thinking more about that, talking more about that, come talk to me. Talk to one of the other pastors here, here in this church. But see, when it comes to justification, God doesn't split the check. So, so when these false teachers were calling on the Galatians to get circumcised in order to be justified, Paul knew that was bringing them into slavery. Because like we read about a minute ago, chapter 5, verse 3, every man who accepts circumcision is obligated to keep the whole law. Now, if you wonder, okay, I, I see the logic there. God, the gospel is you have to trust Christ for all of it. You can't bring anything yourself. But what does that have to do with slavery? Okay. Well, again, God doesn't split the check. So if you're not trusting in Christ fully for your justification, then you've got to trust in yourself fully. Okay, so imagine this. Tomorrow, Monday, you get to set aside that day, and you're going to try to obey the Lord perfectly. You're going to spend the entire day, every waking moment, trying to love God perfectly, trying to love other people perfectly. And you understand that if you fall short, if you disobey him once, if you fall short of loving him perfectly, loving others perfectly once, then you're consigning yourself to hell. Okay, that's slavery, isn't it? If there's one unrighteously angry thought, if there's one lustful look, if there's one dishonest word, then you're consigning yourself to hell. If, if you operate that way tomorrow, you'll see that's slavery. That's slavery. That's what these false teachers were putting on these people as they preached this false gospel. Verse four in our passage, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ, so that they might bring us into slavery. That's pretty bad, isn't it? But second thing we can see in our passage for how bad justification by faith plus works is, it makes non-Christians think that they're Christians. So it not only brings you into slavery, it makes non-Christians think they're Christians. Look at how Paul refers to these false teachers, verse four. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in. He calls them false brothers. In other words, he, he's saying they're fake brothers. They're fake Christians. Well, the reason he calls them false brothers is because they think they're real brothers. These false teachers think they're Christians. They think that they're okay with the Lord, but they're not. And, and there's not anything worse than this. It's bad enough for somebody who doesn't believe the gospel, and, and so they're headed for judgment. The worst situation, though, is a person who's, who's uh, not believing the gospel, headed for judgment, but they think they're good. They think they're okay with the Lord. They think they're spiritually safe, but they're not. That's what this false gospel of justification by faith plus works does. It makes people think they're justified in God's eyes when they're really not because they're not believing the one true gospel. Listen to what Paul says happens when somebody believes their justification comes from faith plus circumcision. Chapter 5, verse 2. If you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Zero. 
Chapter five, verse four, you are severed from Christ. Or the way he says in verse four in our passage, you are a false brother. Justification by faith plus works makes non-Christians think they're Christians. So understand how bad that is. That's bad. Understand how bad that is. And, And just as important, never yield to it. Never yield to a false gospel. Look at how Paul responds to this group saying Titus needs to be circumcised. Verse five, to them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. He didn't yield at all. Not for a second was he given any time to that false gospel. When I was in seminary, we had a house, a bunch of guys lived in it. One of those guys had been a high school wrestler. And so we would do this thing. I didn't come up with this idea, but it was pretty fun. We'd move all the furniture out of the living room. And then Darren, who was the high school wrestler, would stay in the middle of the living room. There were four of us other guys. There were five total. The other four of us would one at a time come and wrestle Darren in the middle of the living room. And he would own us every single time. But he stayed in the middle the whole time, which is exhausting if you've ever done that. We would be exhausted just from one quick round with Darren, but he stayed in there the entire time and he did not yield. So he would just take us down one after one after one. That's what Paul is talking about here. He wasn't yielding for a second. He was putting that false gospel in its place. To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So understand how bad justification by faith plus works actually is and never yield. But now we we can think about the instance where it will be most easy for folks like us to loosen up here. Because you might be able to sign off on everything I just said. We could all agree like, yeah, that's in the text, right? False gospels are horrible. Let's never yield. Okay, but now we can think about an instance where it will be most easy for folks like us to loosen up and, and pretend a false gospel isn't too big of a deal. It's when we know a real live person who believes a false gospel. <laughs> that's when the rubber hits the road. That's when it gets difficult. It's, it's easy to be dogged in our rejection of justification by faith plus works when it's just an academic exercise or when we're fussing about these false teachers that lived 2000 years ago, right? And are in the grave, we'll never meet them. But will we reject a false gospel when it's attached to an actual person? Maybe even a person that we care about. And this is our third point this morning, be more loyal to the gospel than to people. So again, think about Paul traveling down to Jerusalem. He's he's about to meet the leaders of the very first Christian church in Jerusalem, the men who actually walked and talked with Jesus, these leaders of the Christian church. And, And all he wants is for them to be his partners in the gospel. He wants to link arms with them. He wants them to be on the same team as he is but he knows there's a condition that has to be met before that's a reality. Before he knows they're on the same team, he, he knows they have to believe the one true gospel. That's why he does what he does in verse two. I went up because of a revelation and set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Paul always had it as a category. He might find out these apostles were preaching a false gospel. And you know what he would have done if that was the case? He would have turned around and walked away. He would have said, I can't link arms with you guys. We're we're not on the same team. Chapter one, verse eight, Paul already told us, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. 
Let him be judged by God is what that means. So, so if Peter and James and John and the other apostles were found to be preaching a false gospel, that's how Paul would have responded. He would have said, all right, guys, you're accursed because you're preaching this false, damnable gospel. I, I can't have any part of it. He wanted to have participated in their ministry. He wanted to have pretended they were all on the same team. <laughs> he, he would have walked away. See, Paul was more committed to the gospel than he was to people. If it was necessary, he, he was ready to have fractured relationships, but he wasn't going to compromise on the gospel. And that's the message most of us probably need to hear. I think for most of us, it's, it's probably pretty easy to tell somebody that we think Jesus was the son of God, even if they think that's stupid. I think for most of us, it's, it's probably even, maybe not easy, but we do it to say, yeah, the only way to be justified is to come to Jesus. The only path to God is through Christ. That's not a popular message. But I think for most of us, yeah, we're, we're willing to do that. It's much harder to tell somebody who thinks they're a Christian the gospel you believe is a false gospel. That's harder than those other things. It's harder to tell somebody that you love you're going to a church that preaches a false gospel. That's a hard thing to tell somebody. But see, we don't have ultimate loyalty to people, do we? No, our ultimate loyalty is to Jesus Christ and his gospel. But of course, to, to have those conversations with people, we understand it's, it's actually a loving thing that's for their good, isn't it? It's a loving thing. The, the most loving thing we can do for the person who deviates from scripture when it comes to the gospel is to help them see they're deviating from scripture when it comes to the gospel. There's no more loving thing we can do for them. I think the most helpful key in situations like that is just to focus on the Lord more than we focus on people. Look what Paul says in verse six. He says, and from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Isn't that incredible? That little phrase, what a good thing to pray for for ourselves as Christians. Paul's not concerned with how influential somebody is in this life because he knows God doesn't care about that. And so Paul doesn't care about that. God shows no partiality. So, so you may not want to tell your sister she's believing a false gospel, but, but I think that's because at least in part, you're worried about what your sister will think about you. Listen, you don't have to worry about that. Not as a Christian. God doesn't give your sister any judgment over you on the last day, right? So, so don't worry if she thinks you're judgmental. Be concerned with what God thinks about you. He's your judge. He's your master. You may not want to tell your son that he needs to leave his church because his elders preach a false gospel. But I think that's probably in part because you're worried what he'll think about you or, or what that will do to your relationship with him. But listen, it's your relationship with God that's supposed to drive your life, isn't it? Not, not your relationship with your children. You can tell somebody close to you that, that they need to leave their church because their preachers preach a false gospel. You can do that out of love if, if you'll focus on the Lord and, and on the gospel and be most loyal to that. In fact, let me give you a scenario that will help to calibrate things for us and then involves me on the losing end. So you can just think to yourself, okay, this this might be easy for you to hear from me because I'd be the one losing out here. There have been pastors who started out preaching a real gospel and then they end up preaching a fake gospel. That's a category. That's happened all throughout Christian history, right? They had the same sinful flesh that I have. So this is a category that as a church we need to understand. There is a chance that I could end up preaching a false gospel. Now, please pray that that never happens. That would be bad news for all of us, right? But crazier things have happened. If I do that, 
And if the elders confront me, and if I say, no, 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 I hear what you're saying, I'm going to keep preaching this false gospel of justification by faith in Christ plus good works, you will have to fire me, okay? You'll have to fire me. Now, we like each other right now, and this is my guess. My guess is that the longer I'm here, the more we'll like one another. That's what I pray for. I assume that's the case. Not only that, I have a lovely wife who relies on my income, and you most likely will think more of her as the years go on than of me. Not only that, I have five small children who rely on my income, okay? So there's a lot to lose by me losing my job. I couldn't be more sure that if I preach a false gospel, you will have to fire me. That's because you guys and me should be more loyal to the gospel than we are to people. We need to commit to that, don't we? This stuff is just too important for us to avoid difficult conversations or avoid hurting somebody's feelings. No, be more loyal to the gospel than to people. But, but our final verse, it's sort of a pivot. It reminds us that the gospel doesn't just stay in our heads where we believe right things about it. No, the gospel goes from our heads to our hearts and then out to our hands. The one true gospel is part of why it's so good. It actually produces a life of love for God and love for others. It produces good fruit, the one true gospel does. And our final verse gives a particular command for our lives. And it's our final point this morning. Because of the gospel, give material care to fellow Christians. Now, we'll see in a minute how it kind of ties in with everything we've been talking about. But, but after the apostles let Paul know they agree with his gospel, they welcome he and Barnabas. They give one request. Verse 10, Paul says, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Okay, that verse in Acts 11 that I read initially, where it sounds like that's Paul's initial impetus, where God tells him to go to Jerusalem. Let me read that again, Acts 11, 27. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world, so the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Paul. Okay, so historically there was a famine that affected Jerusalem for whatever reason and that region more than it affected other regions. And so what Christians do, the Lord calls them to do this, is that they put together some of their resources to send to these Christians in Jerusalem that need it more than they do. They were doing what verse 10 says. They were remembering their poor fellow brothers and sisters. And, and of course, we should do the same. We should give material care to fellow believers who need it more than we do. Remember what we're taught in 1 John 3.17? If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. This is something we should always be on the lookout for, right? As Christians, we have this familial relationship with one another. We're, we're brothers and sisters. We're responsible to care for one another, not just spiritually, but materially. And of course, that starts here in this local church. So if, if you know you've got a fellow member who's struggling financially, and you know you can afford to help them, step into that. That's what this verse commands us to do. Step into that need. If you know a fellow member could use a car ride somewhere because they don't have a car, they could use a car ride everywhere, uh, somewhere every now and then, and you have a car, step into that. 
Step into that need. If, if you know a fellow member could really benefit from you watching their kids for a few hours so they could get some work done and you've got the availability, step into that. Step into that need. But, but see, here's what we see in Galatians verse 10 here, chapter two. The Lord also wants this care to go past the walls of our church. And this is a place where churches like ours could probably grow a little bit. So when we think about sending our money outside the walls of this church, I think usually we think about international missions. Praise God, we've got to do that. There's calls for us from scripture to do that too. But see, we're also commanded to give money to help poorer Christians in other places that need it. So for the Galatians, it was the Christians in Jerusalem due to this famine. So who would it be for us? Well, listen, let me tell you, I'm no expert on this, but, but I'll tell you, I'm sure of this. There's no shortage of Christians around the world that have it tougher financially than we do. There's no shortage of that. You can throw a rock at international Christians and you're probably gonna hit a Christian that's struggling financially in ways that we never will. So let me just say this. If, if you feel compelled to step into the needs of poorer Christians in other places, email me about that. I've already this week been talking to some pastors internationally that are solid guys, solid churches believe the same gospel we believe, who have members that have acute financial needs because of these regions in the world they live in, email me and then we can pool our resources and we can help give to that. So if you hear that and you think, yeah, I feel like the spirit is telling me that'd be a good thing for me to do, email me about that and, and we can do it. Listen to Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 16, verse one. He actually mentions the Galatian churches. He says, now concerning the collection for the saints, these poor Christians in other places, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you will credit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So the Christians in Jerusalem, they're, they're undergoing significant material hardship. And so these Christians, 800 miles or so away in Corinth, pool their money and send it to help them so they can have food and shelter and, and be cared for. And as we close and we can tie this all back together, why do we give material care to fellow Christians? Why is that something that fits with what we know about the Lord and the gospel? Well, it's because of the gospel. Because you think about these false teachers, if the gospel that the false teachers were preaching was true, if the gospel said, okay, in order for you to be justified, God will do his part and you do your part, well, that would affect the way we think about material care for other Christians, wouldn't it? Because what we would say is, yeah, I'm okay to offer you some help, but, but what are you going to do? You know, let's mix this thing up. Yeah, I'll give 98%, but what's your 2%? What, what are you going to do here? But see, that's not the real gospel. The, the real gospel is justification by faith alone apart from our works. It's fully provided by Jesus. And if we understand that gospel, how can we not turn and be generous with our money and our time and our energy? We didn't give anything to the Lord and he gave it all to us. We have a savior who emptied himself for our good. And now we get to turn and empty ourselves for the good of our spiritual brothers and sisters. So, so praise God for the fruit that comes from the gospel of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. Let's work to preserve the truth of that gospel. Let's pray together. And Father, we're so thankful for the good news of the gospel. We thank you that it, 
it is infinitely better than any man-made gospel. Because every alternative to Christianity is, is works. Even if it gets lip, gives lip service to faith in Christ plus works, we understand the way you view that, which is that it's, it's no gospel at all. Because again, you, you don't split that check. Either we come to Jesus empty-handed and take everything from him to be counted innocent in your eyes, or it's up to us. Those are our only two options. We're so thankful, Father, that you hold out that one true gospel for us. We pray that we would remember it and think about it and treasure it, and that we would live according to it for your grace. Take a moment now to pray individually and silently that the Lord would press these truths in on your heart. Take a few moments to do that now.